You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. Good to have you here. It's good to have visitors as well. I've been pondering the thing that uh, 26 years of being here and I they're going to, we're going to uh, install a new senior pastor and they have air conditioning. I'm trying to figure that one out. That tells you how things are changing. <laughs> well, I'm glad for that. Where did Jordan go? Where are you, Jordan? Back there. Congratulations to you. And Allison was also there in Greece. And when you went across to get your diploma, you really killed them. That was fun to see. I want to begin by honoring certain people, uh, and to do that, I'm going to go back to 1993. And if you were here in 1993 attending this church, would you stand, please? Noreen, I know you're one. Where's Alex and Kathy? Where are they? They were here as well. Yes, 1993. Give them a hand. I'm going to give them a hand. Thank you. I know that some could not be here, but uh, I want to thank them. Uh, 26 years that they have been here being faithful. I also want to welcome here today uh, Bob and Kathy Weeks. Uh, They were here for many years, and then God moved them away, and they've come back for this morning, so thank you. And also, I want to welcome Roy and Sandy Anderberg. Where are you now? Where where are you? Okay, right. You're normally uh, about three. Okay. And uh, Howard Kelly, where are you? He's back there. And Marlene could not be there, but we welcome you. Thank you for coming back uh, for the service this morning. And then a special welcome to all of you who over the years have made this your home church and you've served the Lord here. And you've certainly blessed me uh, in my years of ministry here. And we praise God. So thank you so much for those many, many years. And this morning service, as you might understand, is quite different from our normal morning services because today we have the joy of installing our new senior pastor, and uh, we're so glad that you're here, Hans, and for what God's going to do through you. So we are rejoicing that. By the way, we talk about installing you as our new senior pastor, but actually uh, he has been working in that capacity for uh, a year now. It was in June. Uh, when you folks gave uh, me a sabbatical for three months, and I thought, you know what? He had three months of being the senior pastor. I'm just going to take a back seat and let him do it. So any problems, call Hans. Okay. So, yeah. so, and uh, I want to say something about me, because some of you have asked, and uh, I want you to know that uh, uh, the uh, pastor Hans, as well as the elders, have uh, wanted me to stay on as pastor emeritus. Somebody says, well, what does that mean? Somebody said, well, that means you're retired, Bill. Okay. But uh, I'm going to be involved in the ministry. Uh, The number one goal that I have is to support Pastor Hans in every way that I can in things that he would have me do. And I'm going to be involved uh, at least for a while on Sunday night. We're going to finish up the book of Revelation, hopefully before the Lord comes back. 
And uh, there's a lot of visitation that needs to be done, and I want to do that. So I'll have a lot more opportunity to be in your homes and have coffee with you and pray with you. And by the way, that's another ministry that we really would like to develop throughout the church is a, a really strong praying ministry. And that's going to be so important, as you understand, and we want to develop that. So those are the things that I'm going to be doing, and we'll see how God leads. You may have noticed in your bulletin, we've entitled this morning's message, The Journey of a Senior Pastor. Now, you want to know some things about Pastor Kaufman. We have it right here, and I want you to know he paid big money for all that information on the back. So, okay. But... Uh, you can read that in your spare time, and we're glad we have that in. My heart is filled with joy as I begin to realize that the Lord would have a, kind of a difference of ministry here for me and began to think and pray through that and began to search with the elders for who would be the one the Lord would have bring here. And uh, I rejoice that uh, he has brought Hans to be uh, the uh, senior pastor here. But I've entitled the morning message, the journey of a senior pastor. You'll notice there's no scripture, although we will look at some scripture, but there's no scripture that's uh, around that uh, subject there. Uh, I'm not, for example, Hans, going to go to Acts 20 and talk about the uh, charge that Paul gave to the elders, you know, as he was going to leave. I'm also not going to be going to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8, where he says, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, and develops that as Paul is moving off the scene, and he's going to have uh, Timothy take that over. But I suppose you could better call this a homily or a talk that I want to share and I realize that in one sense, I'm primarily speaking to Pastor Hans. I'll call him Hans often. Don't worry about that. I still respect you as pastor, but I'll call him Hans. Uh, but, uh, uh, and also, by the things I'm going to be sharing, though, I'm sharing with all of you as we look at uh, the journey of a uh, senior pastor. To do that, I got to thinking back over my 44 years of being a senior pastor in four different churches and said, well, Lord, what exactly is it that you would want me to share that might encourage, might benefit, might help uh, Hans, but also might help you as a body of Christ here that are called to support him in the work here. And uh, some of what I'm going to be sharing, some of you have heard a number of times. I know some have not, but just bear with me because I was thinking back over my own life and this ministry and uh, what uh, God has uh, chosen to mercifully do through me. And uh, it's not only for encouragement and for uh, maybe a little bit of direction for you, Hans, but it's also, and I really mean this with all of my heart, some of the things I'm going to share, I want God to be glorified. It's not about me, as that song we just sang. I want God to be glorified as I think and reflect back on the things that he took me through that journey as a senior pastor. And if the Lord tarries, you'll have the same or different stories, of course, Hans, to share as well. Uh, and by the way, some of what I'm going to share is going to overlap. I've kind of compartmentalized it, but some of what I'll share, you'll find it overlaps. I want to begin with my growing up days as a little boy. I was born and raised in Sweet Home, Oregon, and uh, went to a grade school. It went from grade one, first grade through the sixth grade. And uh, Hawthorne Elementary School. And uh, the sixth grade teacher was also the principal of that school, Mr. Moffat. 
Mr. Mom, by the way, at that school, they, they, uh, you, you know, you bought milk, and if you, if you bought milk, you had to have your milk ticket punched. And so different ones were uh, chosen to go down to the boiler room where you would sit there and you would punch those tickets just before uh, the uh, meal, the noon meal. But, you know, a boiler room is a big area, but the one thing that caught your attention when you went down to the boiler room was this paddle about three feet long, <laughs> three inches wide, and at least an inch thick. And we knew that Mr. Moffat, the principal and the sixth grade teacher, had splintered a paddle like that over a number of guys' rear ends. I share that with you because one day out on playground, I probably is in the fourth grade, we were told we could play cowboys and Indians. Understand, we didn't have guns, we didn't have knives, we didn't have bow and arrows. But we're out there having a great time, and Miss Buck, one of the teachers, shows up, and she says, you need to stop that right now. And I said, well, we were told we could do this. Well, I'm telling you to stop. Yeah, but we were, our, my teacher told, maybe you and I need to go see the principal and see what he has to say about this. That isn't exactly, well, I, you know what, I think you're right. No, I think we need to go see the principal. So it's during the recess hour, so she takes me in, and, and Mr. Moffat is there, but he's busy, so he says, you sit down here by my desk. So I'm sitting there, sweat pouring out of me, wishing they had air conditioning. <laughs> and uh, he's busy doing this and that, and, and unfortunately, the, the recess bell rang, and uh, so all these people are pouring into the classroom, and of course they see this Bill, Billy, that my, sitting there. Unfortunately, one of those kids was my brother. He was a year and a half older, so I know where this was going, you know. Finally, Mr. Moffat comes in, he says, you come with me. And I'm thinking, oh boy, the boiler room. And uh, we walk into a different room than the boiler room, and uh, he wants me to help him pack some chairs, which I was glad to do. He said, listen, I don't want you ever sassing our teachers again. Do you understand? Yes, sir. I bring that up, Hans, for you and the body of Christ here because our culture has dramatically changed from that culture back then. You see, the Bible, as you well know, and you folks know as well, I think about Philippians chapter, I'm sorry, not Philippians, Proverbs 1, 7 and, and ver, chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord, that reverence at all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But we know today there is no fear of God. We see it in our schools, we see it in our homes, and the mess in the homes as well. Why? Because there's no fear of God, that's why. And I think about 2 Timothy talking about Scripture. He, says in that, he said this in his day, think about 2,000 years later. But realize this, that in the last days, and we might say we're in the last day of the last days, difficult times will come. That's the ministry that Hans has taken over. I've had 44 years back there when there was that little bit of respect. But that's lo no longer, that's gone for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents if they can even find their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. Boy, isn't that the day. What did they say in one day, uh, what, this yesterday in Chicago? 36 murders. One day. Two, two an hour, they said. Brutal. That's our culture. Brutal. Haters of good. Treacherous. Reckless. Conceited. 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Folks, that's our culture. That's exactly where we are. And that's the ministry or the, the culture that Pastor Hans will be ministering in. Quite a contrast compared to my growing up days. Now I'm going to take you to my first pastorate. Hans, I was 22. You are 36 going on 37 on his first. Quite a difference there in age there. Am I right on that? Close, close enough. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was filling a pulpit during the summer. It was called Interim Ministry. One of the, the, the church had lost its pastor, and they asked if I would come. I was single at that time. And so it was a farming community of Kyron, Iowa. And uh, they enjoyed me and asked if I'd stay on during the summer. And they were looking for a senior pastor. And I wasn't married, so they didn't want me. And I understood that. And while I was involved during that summer ministry, uh, Dr. Stan Randall, and he was a general director of the uh, General Conference Baptist Association, and their uh, number one uh, uh, seminary is in uh, Bethel up in Minnesota, St. Paul, Minneapolis. And uh, he comes and he visits with me. He says, uh, Bill, I was wondering, would you consider, uh, after this summer, would you consider going to Ames, Iowa? There's a little church down there. Now, understand, you're going to have to run the elephants out of the yard. That was a metaphor saying it's a little church with a lot of problems. But would you consider doing that? And uh, I said, uh, yeah, I would. So he left. I remember I got down and I, I kneeled by the, the desk there and I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm willing to go. Now, which seminary do you want me to go to? I had no intention in the world. I, a pastor, I wanted to be an evangelist. I had done evangelism. I loved evangelism, doing evangelism. My roommate and I, we'd even had some little town-wide areas and we had some great fun, and God blessed that as well. I wanted to be an evangelist. Plus, I knew there was Billy Sunday, and there was Billy Graham, and he's getting older, and now here comes Billy Walker. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, I, I literally ate, drank, and slept evangelism. In fact, one of the churches I was doing pulpit supply again, they said, man, we can just close our eyes. We see Billy Graham up there. <gasps> oh, that's wonderful. I'm on my way. I couldn't believe when, when the summer came to an end and I wasn't going to seminary, but I was going to Ames, Iowa at 22 years of age. Now, you have to understand, that was a church, Ontario Baptist Church, uh, I had met Mary, but we, we had not been dating at that time. And uh, church about 40 people, and there were two women in that church that literally ran that with an iron fist. I mean that. The, I was told that before I ever went. In fact, one they called Poison Pin Alice, so you go figure. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first church. I'm 22. I, I'm single. And so I get there, and... Uh, they, they had a parsonage, it was a two-story, it was pretty small, but two-story, it was right next to the church, and, and it, you know, when you painted it, you had to hold on to the paintbrush because it would just suck it right in. I mean, it desperately needed paint, painting. In fact, the train was uh, a, a block away, and when it would go by, that house literally would oscillate. It would put, I used to sleep pretty good back in those days. It would oscillate back and forth, and uh, so... I took the call, and I'm down there, and I'm out there painting the uh, church when uh, this car drives in, and uh, this fellow, probably 17 or 19, I don't know, big guy, uh, he, he, he was uh, Linus, that's the other woman, it was her son, and I thought, oh good, somebody has come here to help me paint the church, I think that's encouraging, Lord. So he gets out, he walks up, he says, well, I guess I just will tell you, we weren't in favor of your coming. 
That was my introduction, folks. I said, Lord, what am I to do? This is my first church. I'd had some training, but not as the quality of training you had. I had some Bible school training. And uh, I felt the Lord was leading me to go through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, you know 1 Corinthians. It's full of problems. I mean, the church full of problems. And so I began through the book of 1 Corinthians doing the best that I could at my uh, abilities, you know, my first pastor and all that. And uh, there were things that had to change in the church. That was understandable. And every time I tried to change something, Linda's would come up. By the way, her brother, who was a single guy, was a former pastor. He was probably late 40s, early 50s. And uh, she would say, you can't do that. I said, well, why can't I? Well, because the Constitution says. I said, we don't have a copy of the Constitution. doesn't matter. My brother does, and you can't do that. And... Uh, Boy, we, we went all around and around for a year on that whole thing, well, really two years. And um, I remember one time on a Wednesday, I was tearing the rayon runner between the pews out. And uh, she came in, so what do you think you're doing? I said, Linus, we got women who wear high heels and they're going to hook up on those things and fall. We got, it's got to go. But no matter what I do, it was always the Constitution says... And they said, you know, you're a novice. And you know what? They were right. They were, I was a novice. I, I confess that. I'm a novice. My first pastorate, I didn't know I was going to be called into the pastorate. I was going to do evangelism. So I'm the novice there. And finally, I, you know, after a year, and thank God because this, uh, this uh, beautiful redhead with beautiful blue, flashy blue eyes uh, and a radiant smile that was a million dollars came to the church and saved me, okay? Her name was Mary, and you probably figured that out. She was with the Navigators, which they called Never Daters back then, <laughs> but uh, she came. But fi- and and uh, another, one of the couples in that church, a dear, godly, faithful couple that prayed all the time, uh, they, their son was Dr. Bob Posgate, and he was at Talbot Seminary down in L.A., and so he came home. He said, you know, Bill, this is about a year after being there. He says, I think it would be good for you if you were to go on to seminary and get the polish. And, you know, I appreciate that he said that. But anyway, all that to say, it came that time where I said, you know, I'm going to resign. Now, we didn't have elders there. We had deacons. And Don Van Sickle, bless his heart, he was my head deacon. And so uh, I resigned. And he comes back. He says, Bill, you need to know that Linus came to see me. And she said, you didn't resign properly according to the Constitution. I'd never been through anything like this. I couldn't believe it. I just, I, I was saying to God, listen, let this novice go on and get General Patton in here to resolve this. I, this, this is fine. I'm glad to be out of here. And uh, anyway, the Lord burdened my heart. And I know it was the Lord. He said, all right, fine, you can go, but you put this church on a solid foundation before you leave. And so I thought, okay, I need to do it. By the way, we had just finished the 16th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, you're talking about a novice here that didn't have the great skill of really handling the Word of God that way, but, but God mercifully used me nonetheless as we got through the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And so we we're going to have our business meeting. And uh, uh, I had gone to see the former pastor. He was 13 miles away in a different town. And I said, uh, Les, uh, we've we got to have that constitution. And uh, he, he, he showed me. He had that thing written on envelopes, on napkins, 
I, frankly, there just wasn't any constitution. It was just something they could use to control that church. And they had told me before I come, we want somebody to come down here and preach and leave. We'll run the church the rest of the week. That's the elephants in the grass that Dr. Randall was talking about. So anyway, we have this business meeting. I, I just want you to know, I got through the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We had the business meeting, and uh, I said, folks, somebody out here, one of our members needs to make a motion that we uh, discard the old constitution and we adopt a new one. Linda stood up. She pointed her finger right at me. I was in the pulpit. Do you think that you have the right to tamper with this church's constitution when you've resigned and you're going to be leaving on August? I said, well, my dear lady, it's been brought to my attention I didn't resign properly according to the constitution, and I could be around here for another 10 years. <laughs> that woman dropped in her seat. And that evening, there were eight people who left that church. We loved them. We gave them hugs, and we said goodbye. It wasn't the place for them to be. They had controlled it for that many, many years. Well, then I said, Lord, now what do I do? And he said, go to Acts. Go to the book of Acts. The Acts is a soul-winning book, Bill. And so I got into the book of Acts. Within seven chapters, we had doubled a number from four to eight. no. It was more than that. <laughs> that thing got up to 100 people. Now, here's the point. A mile and a half away was Iowa State University, and they had 19,000 students. They had Campus Crusade, they had the Navigators, they had InterVarsity, and we didn't have a one of them. But after that, God opened that door, and those folks came, and they really helped build that church. Now, I share all that for this reason. First, you already know this, Hans. That taught me God really honors his word. I, I didn't have the skills for that at 22, my first church, but God really honors his word. Secondly, I learned something else, and you'll learn it. God will not exempt you from fighting these battles. You don't get an exemption. But how you fight them will make all the difference in the world, or should I say in the church. If you fight them in your flesh and in your pride, you may very well win the battle, but the casualties also may be very great. That's something I think every pastor has to learn. Fight each battle in humility and in much prayer, and the Lord will be with you, and he is the one who will give you the victory and hopefully get the glory. I want to move to when we went to the uh, church uh, in Pleasant Hill, which is south of Eugene. This was right after my seminary days, a little bit older at that time, 33, I think I was. And uh, they had, uh, the Conservative Baptist Association had what they called state meetings, annual state meetings. And uh, in this particular annual meetings, I think it was 1986, I remember really well because you were about three. Okay. <laughs> but the keynote speaker of those meetings was Dr. Charles Stanley. And uh, I think the, the primary emphasis of, of, of his uh, messages was how to grow a church. But he made a statement that God has often brought back to me, and I, I'm thankful that he has. A statement I've never gotten away from, and it's good for every pastor to hear and process that statement. 
Dr. Charles Stanley said, God will never grow a church with a dirty heart. That's powerful. Something that sticks with you. God will never grow a church with a dirty heart. That's been helpful. And then there's this one. I'm going to share a little bit about myself that many, probably none of you know. And that is, the point behind this story is this. You have to guard your emotions. You have to guard your emotions. Before I ever knew Mary, I fell in love with a girl. We were madly in love. We had planned to get married. And then there was a problem, though, and that problem was, I guess we would call it the peace of God. I really wanted to marry her. She wanted to marry me, but I, something was wrong. And I struggled with that. And, and the agony of my emotions going through that. And then finally, and because there were teachers at this Bible college that was concerned and our pastor was concerned, finally I broke off the engagement. And then I thought, what is this? Now I think I'm doing what you want me to do. Why are my emotions in shambles? Why am I still struggling with my emotions? And why I share that with you, Pastor Hans, is because the devil loves to work in our emotions. I say that because he loves to play around them. And uh, the result of that is the turmoil that goes on. And as an under-shepherd, a part of the Lord's redeemed church, I know after 44 years, he will attack you and your emotions. Just be aware of it. You people need to pray for him and the other pastors because because the enemy will attack the leaders of the church in their emotions. You become discouraged. You become depressed. In fact, he will try to drive you out of the church, drive you right out of the ministry. And I know a number of pastors, that's exactly what's happened to them. Driven out of churches, driven out of the ministry, all because of their emotions. And we, therefore, desperately need the faithful prayers of our people that we shepherd. So please be praying for your pastors, those on staff and elders as well. By the way, that's why I also read a psalm every day. I read a psalm a day, and you know what? David wrote half of those psalms. And man, that guy, I mean, God allowed the enemy to attack him in different areas, and he's at the bottom, he's depressed, he's discouraged, and you're reading the psalm, and he's sharing his heart like I'm doing now with you, and the next thing, he's right on the top as he's turned to God, and he's trusting God. And so keep on in those psalms, but pray. Pray for one another, especially for your pastors, if you will. And then, Hans, there's a verse in the Bible I wish wasn't there. And I'll share you. It's 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. You know, we read through, and I talked about going through the book of 1 Corinthians. You kind of gloss over some of this, but 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. Here's what it says. For there must also be factions among you. What? That's what he said. There must be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. The problem with that verse is twofold. It's twofold. Though you are called by God to shepherd his redeemed flock, you and I bring our imperfect self into that setting. And that always is part of the problem. And then God allows Satan to bring his candidate or candidates into that setting as well. And the factions begin. 
And it isn't always that this pastor or the pastors are the ones that are innocent. But what a battle. And the hard part to swallow is that these factions at times are unavoidable. The ministry can be moving along so great and out of nowhere you suddenly find yourself having to deal with a major conflict that Satan uses to attack your soul as well as God's church. And I share this with you because in all four churches I've ever pastored, it's happened. Why should I be surprised? That's what God said. It would happen. And as I said, you struggle with that because you're very much aware of your own fallenness that can so easily be used by Satan as well. I mean, there's differences of personality, and we know that. Differences of philosophies. Difference in how things are to, should be done and what should be done. And that list just goes on and on. And every pastor goes through it. Every pastor goes through it. We're not exempt. Ian Murray wrote a biography of your and my mentor, and that's Dr. John MacArthur. I certainly appreciate his ministry. And, and what, what seminary did not do for me, he really brought me along over these many, many years. But Murray writes this. From within the church, problems also suddenly emerged in that same year of 1979. John had been there for 10 years at Grace Community Church. While the elders were supportive and the congregation flourishing, John had not noticed anything untoward in the attitude of some of the additional pastoral staff employed to support him. Trouble erupted suddenly at a Tuesday morning staff meeting. <laughs> MacArthur opened the meeting, as he often did, by expressing his appreciation for their help and friendship, only to be stopped by the words, If you think we are your friends, you have another thing coming. Wow. If you think we're your friends, you have another think coming. He then found that the speaker was part of a mutiny. The experience shocked and devastated him. You know what happens to every pastor? Again, why are we so surprised? The enemy hates God's redeemed people, and he hates the church. If he can defeat the church, in a sense, he's won. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are proved may become evident among you. I wish it wasn't the case, but God says it's going to be the case. And so you have to pray for Pastor Hans and the others that are in leadership here, that God will see them through, that they'll be humble, gracious, wise, take whatever necessary decisions and action needs to be taken. And now we come and say there's sort of an overlapping, Hans. I want to talk for a moment about when God drives your ship into the storm. When God drives your ship into the storm, in your journey as a senior pastor, at some time or other, you're going to find yourself on a ship like the Apostle Paul was on, and God will allow that ship to be driven right into a storm. And night and day, you're going to find yourself beaten and battered as you fight that storm trying to keep your ship from sinking. Over my 44 years of pastoring and in all four churches that I've been in, that's happened. And I have talked with a number of pastors who have been in the ministry for many years, and I, haven't, I have yet to find one that's told me that's never happened to me. It just seems to be part of the journey that God puts pastors in. I think about Paul. And as I share my experience, I want you to know that I give God glory. I don't want to take any credit for this at all. I mean that. 
But I think about Paul because you remember there were 276 persons aboard that ship and it was blown to the island of Malta and I guarantee a whole bunch of people got saved because God put Paul on that ship and let the wind drive that into that storm. I go back 26 years now and some of you have heard this story. I tried everything in my power not to come here. And I mean everything in my power not to come here. Yet God, that's part of my storm, he drove my ship here to Arlington. I called this ministry my ash heap ministry. I'm not trying to hide anything. I wanted out of here. I uh, tried everything in my power to do that. And the church was literally at the bottom. People's morale was shot. And frankly, after that, uh, what I had been through, I also was shot myself. In fact, prior to my coming to here, the congregation had taken a vote to close the doors of the church. The vote failed by two votes. Or I suppose you would not be sitting here and I wouldn't be here either. Just again, God driving me into the storm and what he had in mind. From my perspective, this church was in shambles, and I felt like God blew my ship here to put me to death. It's kind of funny because I had two offers. One was considered going up to Alaska, and I thought, do I really want to do that? And frankly, you know what the other offer was? Siberia. Really? (laughs) So I really had questions for God and all of that. I remember, uh, for example, the pulpit. It wasn't this beautiful pulpit. It was a dark, dark, uh, dark brown, and all the woodwork was brown as well. And uh, the walls were somewhat of an off green, and outside they were just the color of mold would be a good way to describe it. <laughs> and uh, we had a business meeting, and I said to, uh, at that business meeting, uh, we, need, uh, we need somebody to... Uh, make a motion that we allocate $5,000 that we can start fixing this up. And uh, one of the fellows who was working with our youth was there, and he said, uh, I want to make a motion. I want to make a motion that we take up love offerings to do this work. Say that 5000 I think that was the first time that my heart leapt with joy. Leapt with joy. Because I thought, good, let's, let's get a second to that because tomorrow morning I'm back on my pickup and I'm loading it and I'm out of here and I'm never going to look back. <laughs> this guy who had made that motion, by the way, unbeknown to us, he was growing marijuana, so a few problems there. He was just <laughs> behind the times a little bit. I couldn't believe it. That did not pass. I thought surely his wife will second that. Or somebody out there will second that, and I can get out of here. Dear people, I'm telling you that every Monday morning, I got the Herald, and I thought, if there's anything paying $20 an hour, I'm gone. I mean, I am gone. I was driving up here before uh, we had taken the call here, and uh, I would preach on, come up Saturday, preach on Sunday morning, and then I'd get in my pickup and get out of here as quickly as possible and hope that something else would open up. That's how bad it was. Well, I accepted the call, of course, as you know, and I came. Well, what happened? Well, when you find yourself on board a ship in a terrible storm without having, and you have agony of soul, not only does God allow the wind to drive your ship into the storm, listen, he allows the storm to drive you to prayer. And uh, I share this with you because I, I would leave here 
I'd walk up to Stillaguamish. I'd walk down to Stillaguamish past the hospital to Highland there. I'd walk over to Highland, and then I'd come to French Street, and I'd come back. And I cried and poured my heart out to God. I want you to know what I said, for His glory, not mine. I poured my heart out. I was crying. This was day after day, crying, wanting to get out of here. I would walk, and I literally... um, demonstrated, I mean, I, I, I actually did it, I'd say, oh God, if you don't stop, if you don't turn, if you don't point, if you don't command, live, this church is dead. And I can't give you any reason why anybody should come here. And if you'll let me, I'll get out of here. Listen, it was so bad back then that Mary said to me, do you mind if the boys and I go somewhere else to church? (laughs) I said, no, God called me. He called you as well. Now, I tell you that because God drove me into that storm, Hans. But look what God did. Not me. I mean, had he not answered that prayer, you folks wouldn't be here. And it's not me. Yes, he, he will use an imperfect person. In fact, I've said a thousand times, I've said to God over and over, you could have chosen easily a thousand other men who are far more qualified, far more skilled, far more capable of leading this church than me. It's just your incredible mercy that you would bring me here and be merciful to me and heal this church. He gets the glory, not me. But I share this with you because, Hans, you will go through a storm. I, I'm as sure as I'm standing here, God will allow your ship to be blown into the storm. I have yet to find a pastor who's been pastoring for years who has not experienced that. But look what God will do if we're humble and we just look to him. It isn't in our strength. It is in his strength. By the way, it's not Hans's church. It's not my church. It never was. It's the Lord. You are the Lord's redeemed church. It's what he wants to do that we want to see here. And so I just want to encourage you with that. When that storm comes, don't stop. Just turn to the Lord in prayer. And again, why we pray for one another as we are involved in ministry. By the way, how did God answer that prayer? (laughs) This is great. Well, I'm crying my heart out, and I'm broken, and I want out of here, and I'm pleading with God He's allowing a storm to take place in another church down the road. And out of that storm, our pastor Jim Pointer came, and Bev came, and a whole bunch of you folks came as well. That's God's doings. It's not that he wanted the storm, but that's God's doings. And through that, he blessed this ministry here. And I needed that encouragement, and evidently you needed it as well. So we praise God for how he works there. Man, we praise him for that. And you've been the recipient of that work of God here at First Baptist Church as people have brought you and others to minister here. Well, number seven of my notes that I want to share with Hans this morning. The joy of seeing God do the miraculous. That's good. The joy of seeing God do the miraculous. When I came here 26 years ago, that pillar there was the outside wall of the church right there. Those back doors there were the outside of the church on the south. We didn't have the foyer. 
I talked when I came to the uh, former pastor, and he had plans to build, but he said, Bill, we can't. I said, why? He said, the city won't let us. They told us that south bank back there is your responsibility. Of course, 4th Street was caving in at the time as well. And said, it's your responsibility to fix it. And he said, we've checked it out. It's going to cost $80,000 just for the engineering not to do the work. We don't have that kind of money. He's right. They didn't have the work, money. And then, as I said, uh, the Lord brought Pastor Jim Pointer to our ministry, and uh, his administrative ability went to work. And then uh, Steve Baker, he ended up on the city council as well. And you know what? Things begin to change. I couldn't believe it. We were able to build the foyer without doing anything with that bank. And then the next thing you know, we were growing, and so we were able to build this section over here without doing anything to that bank. And then when Pastor Pointer went to check out all this, we found out there's a new city manager, and he says, that's not your responsibility, that's the city. They did it all. They fixed the bank. Praise the Lord. (laughs) That's good to know. You know, God does the miraculous, and there's times we pray and plead that way. And uh, you're a a recipient of that as well. I want to share that with you. Just keep on praying. But there's this aspect as well, Hans, and that is sometimes God does say no. Sometimes God says no. The very first day that I drove into this church, Bill Adams, he's a fellow stroke patient, he, he would say, Bill, you got to get here. And I said, no, no, I don't. Yeah, you got to get here. I said, the very first, I said, Bill, the church is located in the wrong place. It's buried back here. Nobody finds it. Nobody knows where it is. People would even drive by the schools, and they go up to the hospital as well. And once while Mary visits some of the people, say, oh, there's a church there? I couldn't believe it. One Easter, we had flowers everywhere. We had them hanging flowers. We, we had done the, the flower beds. I, we had, had balloons everywhere as well. We had banners about uh, he's risen, all that, just to let people know there really is a church here. I'm not sure to this day they know there's a church here. (laughs) But I wanted to have the church relocate. I would love to have seen that. More land, more visibility. And uh, from day one, for 26 years, God just said no. Back then, they weren't using the schools. Later on, they started using schools and starting churches. But back then, they weren't doing that. But sometimes he does say no, for whatever reason. But I will say this, though we're a church that's somewhat hidden here, I praise God how God has brought you folks and how you've been very, very involved in missions. We may be hidden here in Arlington, but around the world, God is blessing and using the church. So keep right on being faithful to missions because there God is saying yes. And that is a joy to know that. And then I want to share this with you. A scripture, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And Hans, I know you know it really well, but I want to focus on one part of it here. In my 44 years of being a senior pastor, a scripture that the Holy Spirit often draws me to is this passage, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. It says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until all, or till we all, attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, there's a lot to consider and digest in those verses, but what I want to direct your attention to, Hans, is that little word, all. The little word, all. It's easy for the senior pastor to gravitate to certain folk and 
he really likes and enjoys being around while not realizing, and I'm probably guilty of this, not realizing that you're leaving some others out. Maybe it's people that uh, you don't have a special affinity with or uh, just for whatever reason. And that's often come to my heart that the Holy Spirit has spoken. Bill, every single one of my redeemed sheep is precious in my sight. And I'm not going to be satisfied until they all attain to that unity. So I want to encourage you with that because it's easy to gravitate to people that are fun to be around and people that really give you slaps on the back and their support even all that. That's good. We're glad for you people to do that. But it's all the sheep that the shepherds, meaning the elders as well, must minister to. And then I want to direct your attention, Hans, to Paul's earlier and his later years of ministry. His earlier and later years. In his earlier years of ministry, we looked at the book of Galatians, one of the first, if not the first, uh, inspired uh, letter that he wrote. Paul was very aggressive. He was an intense man who is not quite so tolerant or patient with those who are not as committed as he was or as he is. We know early in his ministry, for example, he wasn't very open to having John Mark on his team after John Mark blew it. And we can sort of understand that. But it's interesting to me that it was Barnabas who came and put his arms around Paul and brought Paul into the flock when the other apostles wanted nothing to do with him. It was also a good old Barney that put his arm around Mark who blew it and brought him back into that fold and made him strong who wrote the gospel of Mark. And later on Paul says, he is very helpful and valuable to me for the ministry. What happened as Paul went through the experiences of God letting him get beat up and letting his ship get blown into storm after storm? You read later on his, his letters. You know what the man says, the old man says? He says, forbear. 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 Be tender and kind-hearted. Forgive one another. Forbear, forbear, forbear. That's what the love of Christ, dear ones, does. That's what our Lord calls each one of us to do toward one another, to forbear with one another. And when you or I don't do that, Satan gets in there and begins to destroy the church. And my, how many churches he's destroyed because people would not forbear with each other. They would not forgive each other. So I share that with you. Paul learned that later on in his older years. And he wrote far more about being forbearing with one another than in those earlier years. And then also part I left out I wanted to get here. Yes, another scripture that the Holy Spirit has directed my attention to many, many times over in 44 years of ministry and four churches, including this one here, is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. And again, this is why you pray for your pastors. Paul writes to Timothy, you know that Paul's about to leave the scene. Timothy says, carry on the work. And he writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, 
with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Those are amazing verses. He gives it directly there to the Lord's bondservant, the under-shepherds. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. Be able to teach. (laughs) Be patient when you're wrong because you're going to be wronged. Be gentle, correcting those who are in opposition, realizing that God may grant them repentance and he may not. I think of that other picture. They're hanging upside down in the snare of the devil, doing the will of the devil. But be patient, be gracious, again, be forbearing. That have thought been brought to that text a lot in my 44 years. And then there's those special people, and I mean that these are the very, very special people. Usually they're the senior saints, but certainly not limited to the senior saints who faithfully day after day pray for the senior pastor, his family, as well as for those other pastoral staff and their families, and who also pray for the elders of the church. And uh, in every one of the four churches, including this one, I have always been introduced to certain of you that said, Bill, we're praying for you. One dear lady said, Bill, I pray for you every single day. You know something? We need that more than we understand. Because this is a battle we're in. Satan wants to destroy the church. He wants to ruin the life of the pastor, his family, and he attacks the family. And so I treasure that, and I know, Hans, you will. And I share that with you. Pray, please, Faith, you don't even understand. That's why I'm sharing this with you. You don't understand half of the battle that the pastors find themselves going through. It's unavoidable. Now, some we bring on ourselves, but much is unavoidable. So how we treasure, you are so valuable if you are a prayer warrior. If you think that you have no ministry here because you're retired, you're wrong. You have an incredible ministry of praying for this church, these pastors, and these dear folk. And then I want to share this with you, Hans. You're young. You have a great worth ethic. I think you could spend 24 hours in the study, studying, working, preparing, all that. But I want to remind you, you're not married to the church. You have a lovely wife you're married to, and you have three lovely children. And you need to understand, though I realize it takes time to prepare, you must take care of your family. And I hope that the elders will watch you and they say, you know what? You're spending way too much time in that study. You go home and be with your wife that they'll say, you get out of here and you do that. I'll tell you why. I'm older than you. (laughs) My kids are raised and gone. You know what? I wish I could go back and do it all over. Not that I did so much badly, but you know what? Those years are gone just like that. They're gone. Your children are away from home. And so I want you to spend that quality time with your wife. And believe me, the enemy also will try to attack her and your family. And that's another reason why we pray. But spend that time. I know you have a good worth ethic. We thank the Lord for that. That's going to be great. But understand, you're married to your wife. It's your family. You're not married to this church, even though I know you're faithful to it. And then I want to share this prayer for you. I think, Hans, this would come out of your heart. 
I think it probably came out of the heart of David, although we don't know that for sure. And that prayer is Psalm 119, verse 74. I wanted it to be my prayer as well over my ministry here in the last, latter part of the years. Here's what perhaps David, whoever wrote it, wrote. He said to God, May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. May those who fear you, Lord, see me, see Hans, and be glad because he waits for your word. That would be my prayer for you. And now, just very briefly, this charge to you, the flock of God. As you have faithfully loved me and supported me over these many years, and I thank you for that. As you have done that, God is now asking the same kind of love, the same support for Pastor Hans Kaufman, who he has called into this ministry and has called to shepherd part of his redeemed flock here at the First Baptist Church of Arlington. Yes, understandably, things will be different because we are different personalities. Understand that. That's God's doing, okay? Rejoice in that. God purposely did not mold us exactly the same, and aren't you glad of that? (laughs) But you are God's redeemed people. And this is his church. As I said, not Pastor Bill's, not Pastor Hans. It is his blood-bought, redeemed church. But you are his redeemed people, and this is his church. And therefore, may you faithfully love and support Pastor Hans and his wife and their children. And may God do great things in this ministry here in this church, as well as around the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.